All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from uh, Queens here in the borough of Queens, New York City, the 21st day of December, 2021. I do want to remind you that I uh, write a newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call our office during normal work hours at 718-457-1426. I would encourage you also to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? You can do that by going to chenpicks.com. Um, Chen writes, uh, really focuses on the biotechs, and there are some definitely some very exciting stories in the biotech sector. He also focuses on the mining exploration sector as well. Uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? And uh, Michael Oliver, if he's with us today, he was supposed to be, but we're having some difficulty getting a hold of him. Uh, we'd like to plug his letter as well. It's OliverMSA.com uh, for Michael's letter, uh, which is... Uh, uh, has to do with uh, with structure and momentum, uh, a very unique letter that uh, I found to be very very helpful to me personally, and that's why we have Michael on every other every other week. Um, I do want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel, and encourage you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about the show to questions for Taylor at gmail dot com. Questions at number four Taylor at gmail.com. And of course, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Novo Resources, Aloro Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp, and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, The Monetary Path to Hell. James Turk, Michael Oliver, and Quentin Henning return as this week's guests. America's founding fathers defined the dollar in terms of a set amount of gold uh, and silver because they understood that fiat money, that is money mandated by law, would enable politicians and well-connected citizens to, en- to engage in counterfeit robbery of honest, hardworking people and thereby deprive them of their natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Fast forward to 2021 in a world of massive money manipulation and debasement of the Federal Reserve of the dollar by the Federal Reserve when Americans are confined to their homes, mandated to be vaccinated, forced to wear a mask, told when and what and with whom they can assemble and what they are allowed to say. Meantime, middle class wealth has been redistributed since we went off the gold standard and, and that process has been accelerating in recent years along with the acceleration of new money created out of nothing 
And that has resulted in a relatively few number of Americans becoming filthy rich uh, with this uh, legalized, really is a legalized, what amounts to a counterfeiting system. The extreme redistribution of wealth would have been impossible had Richard Nixon not removed gold from the dollar in 1971. But it's not just a loss of material wealth that has been lost by masses of Americans that is most egregious as uh, of our national dishonest monetary system. Perhaps even more important is our loss of freedom and liberty because as Ron Paul used to like to say very often, if we are free, we will become prosperous. Of course, when money is controlled, we become far less free. Because it is not in the best interest of our policymaking monetary thieves to have you understand how dishonest money leads to the destruction of capitalism and thus leads to overall poverty and uh, massive wealth inequality, very few Americans have been taught to understand how destructive the elimination of gold from or gold and or silver from our money has become and why America's decline as a superpower is also now on the line. Uh, James Turk will be joining me in the second half of today's show to explain all of that. In just a few minutes, Quentin Henning will be joining me to talk about an emerging large-scale gold and silver-rich VMS deposit in British Columbia that SK Mining is exploring and developing. But right now, I'm really pleased to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me to give us his latest views on the markets. Uh, so thank you, uh, Michael. Very good okay. to have you with us. I'm here. Can you hear me, Michael? I'm um, can you hear me? Yes, I'm hearing you fine, and I'm glad that okay, you could good. be with us. Okay. All right. So, um, Michael, I, d- I don't know your um, – you know, I'd like to ask you to sort of get an overall view of your – before we get into the specific markets, just get an overall view of uh, how you see the world right now, the markets. Uh, what, is yeah. your current, what is your current assessment of the global economy and the financial markets? And then we'll ask I you about some specific markets. Okay, I, I think that they're all hinged together now. And I don't mean in the same direction, but I mean, if one of them pivots big, the others will pivot big. Uh, mm-hmm. I think gold and silver are still postured to re-engage upside out of this congestion. But I think mm-hmm. one thing you've got to watch is the stock market, particularly the U.S. stock market, which is the biggest bubble in U.S. stock market history. Mm-hmm. Um, the low we made on the S&P yesterday by our metrics is precisely on a structure that has been hit three prior times in, since last October. It's now the fourth hit on the line. Now, if you look at a price chart, you don't see any similarity between those lows, but on the momentum, it's a flat structure. Uh-huh. And I think that you don't keep hitting something like that, not with the intent of breaking it at some point. And when you do, I think it will be very noisy. Uh-huh. Uh, the fact that they bounced off of it again yesterday reinforces our view that our weird little number, which rises every week, is in fact valid. Now, we mm-hmm. also have some other numbers in the NASDAQ 100 and other the bank indexes already starting to break through some big stuff. So I think mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a problem area. And the problem is that our, our central bank has created the monster through QEs over the last 13 years, et cetera, and their stimulus programs, and they can't let it come apart. And if it starts mm-hmm. to in a way that creates doubt, or fear, even, even, I'm not talking crash, just enough drop to where people say, oh my goodness, there's a problem here. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to somehow, again, reverse course. And mm-hmm. that's going to be intellectually embarrassing for them. And it mm-hmm. might even be delayed, which is something they can't afford. 
So mm-hmm. I would watch that market very, very carefully because I think it's critical. And mm-hmm. once it goes, I think a whole lot of things will go. Mm-hmm. Other thing, energy. Yeah. Uh, we, we know we have an energy problem, particularly in Europe, a major problem. Uh, the Germany has shut down a lot of nuclear plants. Their, their dependence on outside energy is now off the page. Uh, they're, they're tottering. And it could affect their economy big time. You're talking the central economy of Europe now. And Putin, uh, with his troops on the border thing with the Ukraine, I think is a ploy. And I think it's a ploy that he really knows his real weapon. And I, I was telling my son, Brett, a minute ago on the phone that uh, imagine this picture. There's this guy sitting here drinking a vodka, sitting in a lonely room in a powerhouse or, or some kind of uh, power type situation in, in, back in Russia. And he's mm-hmm. got a switch in front of him and it's an on off switch for natural gas <laughs> to Europe. Okay. Yeah. And it says on the switch, wait for Putin's call. <laughs> okay. Uh, Putin has so much power over, over Europe right now that he can, he can, that everybody can look at the troops and all that stuff. All he's got to do is say, you guys don't meet my demands about mm-hmm. further growth of NATO toward our borders, et cetera. Right. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so far they're not doing anything uh, along those lines. He can simply say, oh, okay, you know, and, and then flip the switch mm-hmm. or flip it for a while or turn it halfway. Uh, mm-hmm. Europe will collapse, especially in the winter. And mm-hmm. so my bet is if he's going to have some kind of crisis situation, which he's sitting on top of right now because of that factor, uh, it's likely to occur in the winter, I mean, in the next several months. So that's yeah. another very interesting variable, which could, of course, do what? Uh, take mm-hmm. our very sub-priced natural gas and put it up toward uh, some kind of level, at least toward where the European prices are, mm-hmm. uh, which would mm-hmm. help create an energy crisis here, and plus would help oil continue its trek north. So there's all kinds of dominoes here that are ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, all you... of them ultimately <laughs> fall on top of the central bank. Yeah, and I'm, to get I'm looking at a chart. Looking at a chart here, yeah. Michael. When you talk about the market, the equity market, you're looking at the S and P 500, and yeah. I see that flat structure you're talking about in momentum. Looks like it hit down there one, two, three. It's like four times now, or something like that in the it's last the fourth time. couple yeah. of years. Now you don't do that uh-huh. without the intent of later using it. The only mm-hmm. question is when, and the number it takes to break that structure is uh, a certain percentage over its 40-week average. Uh, mm-hmm. It varies every week. It rises every week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. it, it's like a little minefield that keeps coming up under their feet. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just sitting back watching it because I know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of which week are they going to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's other comparable indi- indexes that have similar type structures. So when that happens, uh, it's going to be fun and games for, for the people who don't, don't like central banks mm-hmm. to see how these guys yeah. mouth their way out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, let's see if they can uh, at some point in time. Yeah. I mean, do you still, you were worried a few weeks back about the corporate bond picture. How is that looking now? Well, the, the, the junk bond market, HYG is an ETF, the JMK. This is high yield corporate debt, U.S. Uh, it made new lows for the year over the last uh, three or four weeks ago. New lows mm-hmm. for the year. Compare that mm-hmm. to the S&P. Nobody's yeah. talking about it. Yeah. But I'm sure the Fed, the Fed is, I'm sure, aware of it quietly and nervously. Mm-hmm. But uh, all these things are just sit back, relax. Uh, and I think once we get closer to these events, 
the, the structure on the S&T, the, uh, the natural gas situation, um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you're going to get a, a, a final upside in the silver and gold that, that breaks through the structures we've defined. And those structures, especially in the case of silver, which did not break out in November when gold did, did not mm-hmm. confirm gold, uh, its numbers dropping by over a dollar. Wow. For next quarter. Well, next quarter is what? How many trading days away? Yeah. Uh, down around 20, 24.30 will do it for silver. So uh, anyway, it's, it's getting very interesting, and, and a lot of events are tied very much together uh, with one outcome, I think, ultimately for gold and silver. Yeah, gold can't seem to get above 1,800. Is there any... You know, you expressed some concerns no, or no, some it, it, caution the other day, the other day uh, a couple of weeks ago. Do you still well, are you still worried about the yeah. potential for gold taking a plunge? No, not so much anymore. No, we, in mm-hmm. fact, we pulled our risk alert because after that litmus test sell-off we had Wednesday last week on the Fed minutes, mm-hmm. where they took gold mm-hmm. and took it through nine weeks of lows, which were all like in the 1760s. They took it down mm-hmm. towards 1750. That mm-hmm. lasted for minutes, and then it immediately bolted back to the upside rally high got up to 1814 now we pull back into the 1780s uh, i'd like to see the month close out you know here or higher be fine we're above the three-quarter average by the way which is 1778 uh so being above that is a comfy thing it's not a major structure but in the case of silver it's uh about two bucks above the market mm-hmm. yeah about two bucks above the market i'm going to engage it on the upside next quarter so it's not going to take a lot to do that and mm-hmm. um, it, it's something to watch, and we'll, we'll pound the table when it happens. Do you still, do you think, uh, I know that, you know, there's this, this uh, dynamic that always seems to go into effect when the market goes down, you see money flowing into the bond market, the treasury market, the government bonds. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, you, do you think for the equity market to really fall apart, to unravel to the downside, we're going to need to see interest rates get out of control of the Fed? Uh I think ultimately they will, uh, but in the short run, I still think the T-bonds and the long debt, U.S. government debt, not corporate debt, U.S. government debt, long-term, 10-year and longer, is a place for people to hide. Mm-hmm. It's still perceived to be that. And mm-hmm. I think it will have enjoy one more upside route, meaning drop mm-hmm. in rates. Uh, and then ultimately, issues like the government debt solvency, <laughs> uh, inflation, et cetera, will take over, and then you'll have rising yields. Mm-hmm. But for the time yeah. being, I still think it's it's too premature to short bonds on that expectation. Mm-hmm. Instead, mm-hmm. treat them as a as an escape valve for people who are nervous. Mm-hmm. I think they'll still function that way over the next month or so, especially when that S&P starts to break. Mm-hmm. Asset managers will say, i got to move it somewhere. Where are you going to move it? Okay, yeah. uh, Safe, long-term government bonds. That's one mm-hmm. place they'll go. So you're talking ten year? Is that did I hear you say that? Uh, I, would, I would go out like twenty twenty and more twenty. The the, the uh, TLT ETF is for oh, okay. twenty year plus okay. government yeah. debt or the thirty year thirty year bonds. These are these are right. further out of control of the Fed. Yeah, uh, they don't have that much influence there. So right, but you don't want to park money there, then, do you? Oh no no, it's, it's, no. it's strictly a stay away a, a safe place to be for for a while, you know, like a month sure. or so. Sure, okay, you know, okay, in the pan- right. I yeah, got you. In, in and a panic if we, period, yeah. See some more, some more downward uh, movement in the yields. Of course, that can be very profitable at the same time. So, yeah. 
Yeah. That's yeah. been a crazy trade for a long, for many decades now. You know, just stay in the bond market. You oh, just yeah. Make out. yeah. For the longest time, you yeah. make more money in the bond market than you did in the stock market after the, after yeah. 1980s, uh, after the, uh, the big, the big peak in, uh, 19, yep. uh, yeah, the Volcker peak in 1980. Anyway, we have to leave yeah. it go with that, thank Michael. You. Thank you so much for your insights. Hey. Always appreciate thank it. And, uh, and Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you, and uh, we'll look to talk thank to you in the new year again. Thank, thank you. To you and your audience. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. Uh, we've got uh, Quentin Henning coming up next. Uh, we're going to break now, but don't go away. He'll be here to give us an update on SK Mining's District Stale uh, Gold Rich gold silver rich actually vms project in british columbia uh so uh, you won't want to miss what he has to say if you're interested in finding a a major prospect one that can well some people think and uh that this one has the potential to be as uh, as lucrative for investors as great bears uh dixie project we'll, we'll have to wait and see and we'll quentin will be right back with us right after the break so don't go away Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Quentin Henning with me once again. And he's here today to talk about SK Mining. Uh, Quentin is uh, is a director of the company and he's also, of course, uh, working with Chris Cat, with Crescat Capital. He advises the company uh, on SK uh, and any number of other uh, companies that uh, the company obviously uh, invests in. Uh, Quentin has, uh, is really the... Um, the guiding light for the company in terms of uh, picking exploration stories. And he's got a good one, I believe, in SK Mining. So I'm really glad he could be here to give us an update on the company. It uh, put out some drill results a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's trading uh, at around $2.04 in U.S. money. I just saw on the, on the screen, 162.5 million shares that would give it a market capital capitalization of around $325 million. Welcome, uh, Quentin, and thank you for joining me again today. Thank you, Jay. Always a pleasure. 
It's always good to have you with me. And um, I, I would like to refer to uh, a Crest Cat Gets Active uh, video that you did along with Tavi Costa and Kevin Smith. Uh, you named SK Mining as one of three investments in Crestcat's portfolio that you believe has the potential uh, that it may be potentially on the verge of, of replicating or at least having great success that could possibly rival the, the financial success that investors in Great Bear enjoyed. Uh, and uh, on their Dixie project, they just sold that project to Kinross for $29 a share in Canadian money. I guess it's about a $1.7 billion Canadian dollar um, sale, a big big asset, obviously, a find a couple of years ago. The company was selling for pennies. We were fortunate enough to pick it up in our newsletter, and I have, uh, I'm confident that there's going to be a number of others uh, that, uh, that you've steered our way for sure, and SK is one of them. Uh, but you, can you give us a, an update on SK and tell us why you think this has such great potential? their project, their VMS project in British Columbia. Certainly, absolutely. Look, it's a, it's a pretty easy story to kind of to, to wrap one's mind around because the, the company holds nearly 526 square kilometers in, and, and all of which is highly prospective for these VMS deposits in uh, a, the camp, basically the rest of the district that surrounds the old SK Creek mine. SK Creek, of course, is now owned by Skeena. They're advancing the the existing resource, uh, which you know is basically the the materials that were left behind by Barrick and other new deposits they've, they've found recently through drilling. Um, it's a uh, it's a great story. Uh, what Skeena has, but a little over five million ounces, if I remember right. Wow. And uh, you know we've got we've got the ground surrounding it, and and you know really we control probably eighty five percent of the prospective belt of this rock that that hosts these VM, VMS deposits. Now, we uh, we realized that when we started the program last year, we realized that we had to quickly identify where you know where we should go prospect. It's a big property, so we didn't. Mm-hmm. To effectively a stream sediment program, we identified through that a number of areas that are that are shedding uh, very high gold values as well as pathfinder elements. So we know we have multiple uh, targets across the property just from that work. We also did geophysical work. In particular, we did uh, what's called SkyTem. It's a, an electromagnetic, an airborne electromagnetic uh, survey that's conducted to look for basically buried sulfide occurrences in the ground. And we've identified numerous targets, many, many targets. So again, that, that data set is telling us we have lots of potential here. Now, we've we focused most of our drilling at TV and Jeff, which are two, at this point, more advanced targets or becoming more advanced targets. But it's not to say we don't have uh, a lot of other targets uh, around us. We did test some of the other uh, targets with a you know first pass drill program this year. We did did a little drilling down around C10 and Vermilion. Uh, we drilled a hole between TV and Jeff that showing sulfide mineralization. Hopefully, will will show us that those two systems are connected. And then uh, we did some boots on the ground work up at a place called Scarlet Ridge, which is also looking like a very prospective VMS system. So. Uh, where are we at right now? It's still early days. Still very early days. We're still learning a lot. But we are very, very confident we have uh, basically a, a whole district-scale potential on our ground. You know, as I'm looking at the map, the property map, and I think this was taken from the company's website that was uh, 
their their uh, presentation, corporate presentation, is along July or so. And I, I'm hearing you talk about some names that I don't see there, but there are a lot of other names. There's Big Red, there's C, uh, CFJ, there's uh, Red Light, uh, Red Lightning, I think it's called, and uh, H, I don't know, Tet, uh, HSQV, there's a whole bunch of others. So I think what I hear you saying is you've come, with, come up with a lot of new ones uh, uh, since the middle of last summer, I suppose. That's correct, yes. And uh, some of those uh, new ones have been di- identified through the work that I just described, the, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the geophysical work. Like We have a large inventory of tests, of targets to test. And, and, you know, the other one to not forget about is this uh, Sib-Lulu area, which is on strike with the Skeena resource. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a little bit further to the south or south west along the the west limb of the SK anticline mm-hmm. and at Sibalulu there's been quite a bit of drilling in in the past uh, that's identified uh, significant deposits down there uh, we didn't test those this year because we anticipate putting the road in uh, this road that Seabridge is mm-hmm. uh, building that comes across to the property will go right by Sibalulu so we're actually waiting for that road to go in, so we have uh, a bit better economics uh, around drilling that area. Uh, in other words, we'll, it'll be road accessible uh, next year. So uh, it's it's just astounding. Like to put put it in perspective, uh, these precious metal rich VMS deposits. You know, these when SK Creek was found back in in the late 1980s, 89, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, an absolute jaw-dropping discovery, hole 109, which, you know, in, in retrospect, it was drilled more or less sub-parallel to the, to the ore body. Uh, it returned, you know, something stupendous, like 100, over 100 meters of, of uh, over an ounce per ton or something. But <laughs> <laughs> these are exceptionally high-grade deposits, yes. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see some of that in, in the drilling we're doing it at TV and Jeff. Uh, the drilling, what what we've determined is that the current footprint of, that we've drilled out at TV and Jeff, the the mineralization is actually hosted in stratigraphy in layers that's lower than the SK Creek deposit. Okay, so mm. we're, we're down in the Hazelton, the lower Hazelton group and the Betty Creek uh, formation and so forth. But um, as we make our way up section, we anticipate, we, we are seeing more and more, and we anticipate uh, finding mineralization all the way up section to that, that critical SK boundary. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. we're finding a stacked VMS system at TV and Jeff at TV. We've got at least two stockwork zones with an overlying VMS, and they appear very, very extensive. Uh, we basically haven't closed them off in any direction. Uh, we're starting to see some really nice grades, uh, some of the massive sulfide that we saw here and in, 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 in released results from about two weeks ago uh, was hitting over a, a kilogram of silver per ton. And I think the gold equivalency was like 16 grams uh, gold equivalent uh, per ton. Wow. Yeah. So, Beautiful. you know, yeah. the great well, grades. Well, yeah. I think um, – to get a sense of the scale of this thing, you mentioned that the TV and Jeff, um, you, you've had the sense that they could very well be linked together. Uh, give our listeners a sense of the distance between those two. I mean, we're talking about a few kilometers, aren't we? Yeah, there's about two kilometers between those two systems, and we do have one hole now that, that tagged uh, some nice-looking sulfide stockwork, similar to what we've seen at both TV and Jeff. Uh, in an area uh, it's somewhat to the north of, of TV. It's probably about a third of the way from TV up to Jeff. 
Uh, but there's the the geophysical evidence, the SkyTem data we have in that area shows that not only do those two systems likely connect, but the there's a corridor of about six kilometers uh, along that side of the the east side of the SK mm. anticline that mm. looks like it it's likely hosting sulfide um, mineralization. So, you know, next year is going to be a big year again for us. We we anticipate this year we we got 20, a little under twenty four thousand meters done. We're going to hit it hard next year. We're going to try to get over that 30,000 meter mark, which is what we targeted this year. Hopefully the uh, we can get an earlier start and the snow gives us a little bit longer window uh, next season. But uh, lots and lots to follow up here. You know, this this thing, in terms of footprint, the original SGA mine had a foot uh, a length of, say, about a kilometer <laughs> and uh, a width of about, you know, a few hundred meters, like three or 400 meters. So, you know, to see a system down there at TVGF that's maybe six kilometers long is, is really encouraging. Mm. Mm. So, um, your last news release that went out, some assays came out. It doesn't seem the market was terribly excited about the results, even though, as you pointed out, I think something like 90% of the drill holes uh, showed good mineralization. 35 of 98 holes have been reported, I believe, uh, Quentin. That means there's an awful lot of assays to come yet from last year's drill program. Is that right? That's right. There's 63 holes in in the queue, so we're going to have news well into 2022. Uh, we'll probably have another news release sometime in early to mid January, mm-hmm. and then I would expect the entirety of all of the assays to be back, say by well, hopefully by March for sure. But uh, you know, it's it it's just a, a little bit of an exercise in patience anymore with the labs, but things are improving. I think uh, we're seeing the lab you know, backlog uh, kind of cl- clear out. But, you know, it's still funny because we, we've we been trying to work with the lab to kind of, you know, shuffle uh, samples around, and they have to literally dig through piles and piles <laughs> of, of samples in the yard to figure out where, where samples are at times. Yeah, so yeah. I know a backlog still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm wondering, um, so will you um, – Will we be hearing something about your drill program next year, or and do you have to wait for all those assays, or most of those assays to be in to, to form your drill program next year, or, or how does that work? Yeah, most of the program designed. We mm-hmm. you know we, we know where the mineralization is and in, in mm-hmm. the holes that have been drilled. You, you know, assays are important. We'll, we'll wait for all the assays to, to finalize the program, but I would say by February or March of next year we'll be presenting. Uh, the path forward as far as drilling, where we think this system's going, and uh, and telling people what we're going to do starting in June. All right, so I guess there's going to be a lot of a lot of um, uh, drill information coming out, a lot of things to keep your eyes on. And then uh, by June, you figure June you'll start your next program. That's uh, the aim. Yeah, we're going to try to get start a little bit earlier than we did this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we recognize that there are certain areas which are lower in elevation, probably more accessible, that we can get to and get going. Uh, and then we'll sequence it and do some of the higher elevation targets, uh, you know, by late July or so when, when the snow's melted. But we do have a, a pretty good inventory of targets to test, you know, including that uh, that Scarlet Ridge area. I think that's uh, low-hanging fruit, an easy one to get to. Very good. Well, we'll certainly be looking forward to it. And the company's well-funded to take its, how far? 
It is. Look, uh, right now, I believe the company has on the order of five or six million. It's got some more bills to pay, but uh, we should okay. be in good shape. Uh, we've also got a lot of warrants coming in uh, okay. next year, I believe, in some in May or June, and then another tranche in uh, in August. We anticipate that covering a lot of the costs of this drill program. Uh, we we also have, as you know, like we've got a, a package of warrants in the hands of Eric Sprott. We did a transaction with him earlier this year, so those warrants might even come into play. But we're we're in reasonably good shape. We're not worried too too much about money right now. Okay, well, I'll have to leave it go at that, Quentin. Thank you so much for your time again and for explaining the program. SK Creek, a very exciting story. Thank you for uh, for sharing that with us. Thanks, Jay. All right, folks, we do have to go now, but uh, we're going to go to break. It, but James Turk is going to be with me to talk about his latest book. And uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the current conditions of the markets, uh, the gold markets, and uh, and also the connection between honest money and liberty. A novel concept these days, it seems, but it is so important, and he'll be back. He'll be with us right after the break to explain why it's so important. Don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me, once again, James Turk. James has had a, a solid educational background, and after graduating from George Washington University, he worked at Chase Manhattan in various overseas locations. Somehow, he escaped the fake fiat money world to dwell in a world of honest money when he went to work for a prominent precious metals trader in the Middle East. And through the years since then, uh, he, he really has gained an understanding of how fiat money is used through an invisible but literal process of theft that takes money away from those who produce it. I like to say the people that produce real things that we need for our daily lives, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, uh, that money flows to an elite group of people who have influence on the on governments and are able to get laws and regulations passed in their favor, and it works uh, to redistribute wealth to a relative few at the expense of the people who are actually creating it. And during the past couple of decades, James has devoted his life to help people 
understand the pernicious nature of fiat money and how they can protect themselves against the harm headed their way from it. And toward that end, he has written several books. Uh, one I know that he co-authored with John Rubino, who's on this show frequently. That's The Coming Collapse of the Dollar. Uh, the Collapse of the Dollar was another one. The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. But the book we want to bring to your attention today is Money and Liberty in the Pursuit of Happiness and the Theory of Natural Money that James has written. And it's just gone to press recently in uh, the last few days, I believe, uh, and you can pick it up uh, at Amazon. Uh, welcome, James, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jay. It's always great to be with you. It's good to have you, especially after this. This is You put a lot into this book. It's a very detailed. It has an awful lot of uh, factual information, but I think very, you know, very practical factual information, but also history, a lot of history that helps us understand. Uh, most importantly, I think, is the, the need to understand the connection uh, between money, honest money, and liberty, or the lack of honest money and the lack of liberty. And I don't think hardly anybody understands it. Um, before we get into that, I'd like to ask you just sort of a big picture pe- question that Adam Taggart likes to ask each of his guests, and that is, given the way the world looks right now, what is your current assessment of the global economy and the financial markets? I think we answered that one in the money bubble. Um, you uh, know, we, we have a bubble. Fiat currency is the problem, uh, and we have to get back to sound money. Um, and we'll do it one way or the other. Governments will either do it voluntarily uh, or the market will force governments to go back to sound money. It's just a question of when it's going to happen because the current system has gone pretty much as far as it can without, uh, you know, too much more disruption. Mm-hmm. And this disruption then can lead to, uh, I, I suppose, chaos and, uh, and a, forced, a, a force of change in government that, that people will demand is what, you're, what, I hear, what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, it could have a societal impact. Uh, look what happened in 2008, uh, all of the problems that mm-hmm. that caused, the disruption it caused. And this time, it'll be worse because we have so much more debt today than we did back then. None of the problems that caused the 2008 crisis have been solved. They're still with us. And in fact, they've become much worse. And that's a, a real concern. Well, in, in the introduction of your book, you quoted Henry Ford, who said, and I quote, it is well enough that the people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system. For if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning, end of quote. So what did Henry Ford understand about the banking system uh, that he knew would make Americans really angry, angry enough to revolt? Uh, yeah. If they understood it, what what was it? What Henry Ford clearly understood this, but ninety nine point nine percent of Americans, I would say, almost all Republicans in office, don't understand it. Or if they do, they're just not paying attention to it. But what is that connection? That's what I think. That's what we want to people to understand from your book: the connection between money and liberty. The, when we talk about money, we ignore what money is all about. Money is about purchasing power, and for. Uh, there are two types of purchasing power. There's the purchasing power we earn, and then there's what banks create, which is called phantom purchasing power. At least that's what I call it. And the best way to describe this is to just use an example. Let's say a office worker or a farmer or a, a nurse or a teacher works during the course of a year, earns $30,000 over, over that 12-month period of time. They now have of earned purchasing power. But if the government goes to the central bank or a bank and says, you know, give me a million dollars of 
purchasing power. The bank gives it to the government. There's no work involved. It's phantom purchasing power. It arises because it comes out of, uh, as they like to say, thin air. It's basically just bank bookkeeping. And that's what Henry Ford was talking about. It's unfair to people who work to earn purchasing power to have their purchasing power debased by the new purchasing power that's brought into the it brought in by the banking system. You know, several years ago, Henry uh, uh, Ben Bernanke, who was Federal mm-hmm. Reserve Chairman, said that uh, he could increase the money supply by dropping dollars out of uh, helicopters. Mm-hmm. But who who wants to do that? Because you're not increasing the goods and services available. Um, what you're doing is you're just increasing the amount of currency in circulation, and all that does is create inflation and rise prices. And what we're seeing today in inflation is a direct consequence of all of the money printing that went on last year because of the lag effect of having those dollars come into the economy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yet you won't hear the Federal Reserve. In fact, they, they, they disavow the connection between that money they created for the, for the, uh, you know, for the programs that, that pump money into the system. Uh, and, and so, I mean, that was my next question. Why do you think it is? I guess it's pretty obvious why it is. Uh, if, if you have a thief in the night, they're not interested in having the, uh, the lights flash on when, they, when they're ready to rob your house. They're not interested in having people understand their dirty deeds, right? Is that why people are not allowed to know and understand this connection? My wife, Teresa, likes to say it's too complicated. And I keep saying it's not complicated. I think you just... You just gave the example right there, James, that tells the story. The people don't really understand how money is created, do they? Yeah, they yeah, don't they understand really, it. They really don't. And they don't understand Jefferson's comment that uh, banking establishments are more dangerous than standing armies. Yes. But the reason why he said that is that, you know, as Mao Zedong said, uh, political power comes out of the barrel of a gun. But government cannot create bullets out of thin air. So what they do is they go to the banking system and have the banking system create money out of thin air, which the government then borrows and uses it to buy bullets. So that's how the system works today, and it's not fair. That's what Henry Ford was talking about. And this is what the framers of the Constitution were against as well, which is why they put all of the monetary provisions in the Constitution to prevent the system that we have today. Yeah, they, they did that. Uh, it was a certain amount of money, uh, a certain amount of gold and silver, I guess, that was to be the dollar, the dollar was defined by that, uh, the, as I understand it, right? Yeah, the dollar was defined as a weight of silver back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and the monetary provisions are that the federal government could coin money. It couldn't print money. It couldn't create a central bank that permit, uh, that uh, printed money. It could only coin money and regulate the value thereof. And regulate the value thereof meant that they could fix the gold-silver ratio so that neither uh, metal was overvalued or undervalued, but was fairly valued according to the market, so that there was always sufficient metal on hand to have the metal needed to coin money. Uh, And those are the provisions of the Constitution. And the other one was, of course, that um, the states cannot uh, create, uh, no one can create bills of credit. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the irony here, Jay, is that we have dollar bills of credit in our pocket, but nobody really sees it as a dollar bill of credit. We just call them dollar bills, but that's what they are. They're unconstitutional. And and how did that happen? Well, it's a long story. Um, Yeah. yeah, Really, part of that, I've traced that history in the book, not just in the United States, but going back to 1694 with the creation uh, of the Bank of England in uh, in the United Kingdom. But the, the link to liberty comes directly from this, Jay, because 
One of the things I learned from, interestingly enough, is a speech given in 1948 by um, Howard Buffett, who is the father of Mm -hmm. Wall Street legend Warren Buffett. Right. And he made the point that in order to have liberty, citizens have to be in control of the government. If the government's in control of the citizens, you have tyranny. Mm -hmm. Now, in order for the citizens citizens to be in control of the government, you basically need two things. You have to have the power of vote, but you also have to have gold as money. And the reason why you have to have gold as money is that it cannot be created out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and governments can't get the purchasing power unless they earn it, just like the farmer, the nurse, the teacher, and everybody else who goes out and earns a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so that, that, is, that has changed and it's explained in your book. But I, I think, um, what about uh, f- what about fractional reserve banking uh, with or and without a gold system? I mean, we we have fractional. We had fractional reserve banking when we had a gold system, right? That is, and I don't know if you could explain fractional reserve banking for our people because I think that's another concept that most people don't understand. Well, it goes back to earned purchasing power and phantom purchasing power. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, fractional reserve banking is solely a result of. Um, the bank accounting. Um, they create yeah. money out of thin air. Uh, if there were no fractional reserves, the, the gold and silver that's deposited into a bank would be the circulating currency. Mm-hmm. But banks don't do that. They create more currency than there is gold and uh, silver in reserve. And since 1971, there is no gold or silver in reserve because it's now totally fiat currency just based on whatever the bank and the government think it's worth. Uh, and they continue to debase it year after year after year by doing more and more printing and more and more borrowing. Mm-hmm. But at least up until 1971, there was some constraint on the amount of dollars that could be created because it was an international system and in, in governments that would overindulge and spend too much, uh, they would they would see their currencies um, start to decline in value, right, vis-a-vis the other currencies. Yes, that's right. But it really started going downhill in 1913 with the creation of the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. It started picking up speed in the 1930s when gold was confiscated in the United States by um, Franklin Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Um, At the same time, gold was confiscated in Germany by Hitler, Russia by Lenin, and Italy by Mussolini. And the reason why they did it is they wanted to have control of the citizenry. So they took gold out of the hands of the people. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the Liberty Link, Jay. Yeah, that's the Liberty Link, and and also, as you say, uh, if as uh, Congressman Buffett said, if if the people don't have control of the government, the government has control of the people. But they need to have an honest monetary system. Otherwise, well, we're seeing what happens. It's 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 unfolding before our eyes now. And it, James, I don't know if you could ever envision the time when we would have sort of a fascist system like we have now, with corporate. I mean, my my understanding of fascism. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are, but it, it's the connection of government and large corporations, corporations that have undue influence and power on on laws and regulations. It seems to me that our freedom of speech is being taken away in that way by, by individuals. Uh, but it all sort of goes back to money, doesn't it? Yeah, it does go back to money. And the country today is very different from the country that I grew up in in the late 1940s and 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a lot more liberty and freedom back then because there was still some um, link to, to gold, as you said, which mm-hmm. consisted and continued up until 1971. But, you know, that's been moving away. So I tend to say that the 1960s, when things are really started spinning out of control, uh, we've now reached a stage where um, I think the system's going to be changed pretty quickly. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, 
we're talking months, we're not talking decades, mm-hmm. um, or months, maybe a couple of years, because it just cannot go on like this. You mm-hmm. cannot continue to borrow and borrow and borrow and turn that government debt into currency and debase the currency. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, I think the fact that we're seeing all of these political movements and what's called populism uh, around the country, people are starting to understand that the system's not working, but what we have to do is go back to the principles of the Constitution. Uh, the framers of the uh, Constitution went through this actually with the War of Independence and the collapse of the Continental, which was the first currency of the country. They didn't want to have that happen again, uh, so they put the monetary provisions in the Constitution, but the 20th century, we've ignored those monetary provisions and we're suffering the consequences of bad money, just like the framers of the Constitution suffered the consequences of the Continental. Yeah, it's uh, it, it certainly has been the case. Um what, let me ask you this, James. What are, the, what are the characteristics of gold that lead it to become money chosen by the market when, when people are free to, to make that choice? Yeah, it's really interesting because gold is the only thing that's eternal. It doesn't decay. It doesn't rot. Uh, it doesn't disintegrate. You can't get rid of it because it can't really be destroyed. Uh, and that makes it a perfect mechanism for measuring value over time and over space. Um, so, you know, back in prehistory, uh, just like we learned to speak, we learned to interact with individuals. And from that interaction with individuals, we realized that we needed something that would serve as money to facilitate commerce. And gold and silver emerged from that. Silver can be tarnished, I guess, uh, but the, but it's also very durable. But they also have both of those metals, especially gold, uh, it locks in a lot of value and the portability of it, it seems to be a, an attraction. I mean, you can have value in your house and other tangible things, but you can't cart it around if you need to, uh, to, to barter or make a transaction, right? Well, that's what silver basically, uh, its role, it was a subsidiary coinage. Uh, mm-hmm. The high value transactions were in gold and the low value transactions were in silver. But remember, Jay, the technology is changing all of the time. Uh, and right now you can leave the gold in the vault and use the internet in order to transfer gold from yourself to somebody else in any amount because gold is perfectly divisible when it's stored in a vault. Um, and um, recorded uh, that way. The difference being, of course, when it's stored in a vault, you own it. When you store it in a bank, the bank owns it. There's a mm-hmm. big difference. Big difference. Well, but that leads me, though, to, to recall a product that your, your company, the company you founded, Gold Money, uh, had, but we were not allowed to use it anymore, at least in the United States. It was a wonderful product. I could buy gold, store it, and then sell the gold and put and load my... my uh, uh, my pre my prepaid card, my my debit card, and take it and use it to anything I wanted. It was a wonderful way of preserving my wealth because dollars uh, de- decline in value vis-a-vis gold over time. We know that's true. Where does that stand now with gold money? Is that still something that Europeans can use, for example? It's available outside of the United States, but the banking cartel in the United States and the regulators at various levels of different governments have made it an impossible thing for all practical purposes to use. Mm-hmm. It's the same war that uh, the cryptocurrency guys are now fighting against the government and regulation. These are new technologies that should be tried. The market should allow them to happen um, mm-hmm. uh, so that they can be tried and see if they're an improvement to the, the present system. You know, the bank payment system today has a lot of risks. It's very expensive. Um, open up the bank payment system to other techniques and other ideas in order to 
um, reduce costs and make commerce more efficient. And if we make commerce more efficient, that's a good thing because commerce is what raises everyone's standards of living. Well, it's a good thing except for the thieves that don't like the lights coming on when they're breaking into your home at night. And it's a good thing for most everybody except the people that are enjoying the benefits of their special connections with government, I guess. And that would be the bankers and the banking system, of course. Yes, that's right. right? And that's what what, uh, Henry Ford was uh, railing against when he said that thing years and years ago. Henry Ford was glad that people didn't know, it seemed, from that statement. Well, I guess um, it's hard to say what his real thinking was because I never <laughs> had the opportunity to talk about it, and I just read the quote. But yeah, uh, yeah you know, th- there are a lot of people who have objected to the banking system. Uh, another one, of course, would have been Charles Lindbergh's father, uh, mm-hmm. who was a congressman who uh, was also very much against the Federal Reserve. But I mean, the the banks have, you know, again going back to that uh, euphemism I said about creating currency creating purchasing power out of thin air to buy bullets when you have that kind of system government has the power to the detriment of individual liberty uh with just about a minute or so left here what do you make of uh, china and russia running away from the dollar and building up their gold reserves in mass i think it's only a natural reaction they're doing what each individual should be doing i think they see the writing on the wall that the dollar's system that has existed since the end of the Second World War has been pushed to its limits by the federal government and the Federal Reserve, and that something different is going to be coming in the not-too-distant future. Gold's been money for 5,000 years, so they're just naturally responding to protect themselves by accumulating gold on the assumption that if it's been around for 5,000 years, that track record means it's not going to disappear anytime in the not-too-distant future. Uh, and as a consequence, uh, you know, gold will be around for a while and be used as money, which is a key point that I establish in my book, Money and Liberty. Money and Liberty, uh, it can be purchased at Amazon. It's a great book, Money and Liberty, the subtitles In the Pursuit of Happiness and the Theory of Natural Money. It's a great book. James, I want to thank you so much for the efforts in putting this thing together. I mean, it's writing a book like this has got to be quite a lot of energy and time and effort, and uh, I'm really glad you did it. I think you've uh, you've sort of led the way in helping people understand uh, the connection, and I just, I mean, it's... You know, as we're both about the same age, and we've seen the changes that have taken place over the years, and we can definitely connect it with money. Uh, but more and more people need to understand it, and money and liberty is a is a great place to start. James, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Jay. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week. Um, next week, we're going to have Tavi Costa, Kevin Smith, and Quentin Henning of Crestcat Capitals with us. They will talk about their views on gold and the mining shares as well as the markets in general. In particular, uh, the focus will be on gold and gold mining shares. And uh, Quentin will have some, some companies that he thinks uh, can replicate Great Bear's success for its shareholders. Uh, and um, we lo- hope that you'll join us next week. Uh, if you're interested in the gold share markets, you don't want to miss what Quentin has to say. So that's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. 
Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.